I'm Paul Levinson, and welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode 239. My interview with Arnie Berggren and Christine Berg, two Nordic noir experts who created two really great television series, Outlier, that I saw this past summer, and Catch and Release, which I just saw a few weeks ago. That second series is not yet available in the United States, but it should be here soon. It's now available in Norway and Australia. In any case, we talked about a whole bunch of things, and uh, if you're interested in that genre, Nordic Noir, this is an interview that I think you'll find very valuable. So here it is. The Light on Light Through podcast so first of all, let me just uh, explain how I came to know these two characters, who are actually not characters in a uh, movie or a television series, but they're certainly characters in terms of what they write and direct and produce. I guess it was this past summer when I, uh, being a fan of Nordic Noir, I was very happy to see Outlier, that is, find out about it. And I thought it was a, really a much better than usual uh, example of a Nordic Noir series. And that's high praise because being a fan of Nordic Noir, I think uh, just about everything I see, whether it's Border Town or Outlier, is very much worth seeing. And then more recently, I got to see Catch and Release which is a uh, completely different story. And actually, let's start talking about that first, because one of the things that really struck me about Catch and Release, and one of the reasons why that struck me is, in my first novel, I had a semi-major character. My first novel was The Silk Code, who was a woman in her late 70s or 80s. And everyone was saying to me, wow, I can't believe you wrote about an old woman. You know, you, you expect to see some woman in her 20s or 30s or 40s. So I was immediately struck uh, with, uh, in just the first episode, and of course she turned out to be a major character, a, a retired policewoman uh, who was dying of cancer and uh, that is one of the most unusual central characters I've seen, not only in any Nordic noir story, but in any police detective story uh, at all. So what gave you the impetus and motivation to, to do that? That's a very good question. Do you remember? I don't actually remember exactly what uh, brought up the idea, but... Um... But I think we were a bit, both of us were a bit tired of this classical Nordic noir main character being a sporty 30 years something, uh, a bit dysfunctional girl with not a big social life. So we were wondering and pondering, okay, how can we twist this character a bit? Yeah, and it's an important uh, bit of this is uh, we have total freedom because we are financing more or less the series by not going to a traditional channel or streaming network. So, so we can do whatever we want. And, and we knew the, the, the actor Anita Sukari, uh, she's a Finnish-Norwegian actor. 
uh, we worked with her on a theater piece uh, earlier on, and we are big fans. Mm. We asked her if could she do a small part, and then it grew. Yeah, yeah. It, it actually grew because we saw that, okay, this is, this is getting uh, interesting. Uh, so we, we shot two episodes uh, at first and, and, and cut them and edited them and, and just thought, okay, wow, we have to, to write this as a big major character. Yeah. And it has something to do with the, the other main character, uh, Philippa, uh, the police uh, officer, because she was originally just uh, an extra with with some lines on the murder scene and we we, we got curious can she do more she's interesting she's, she's stealing the scene and 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 so so and then we had this pair of, of, of women the young innocent uh, unexperienced and the old uh, almost dying it was an interesting uh, duo so, you know, I can see why I like your work, because uh, I write the same way that you write and do movies. People often ask me, well, did you work all this out? Did you know what was going to happen? And the answer is no. I might have some vague idea, but I usually don't know what's even going to happen in the next chapter. And that makes it much more fun. So w without giving away the very ending, in case someone is watching or listening to this and they haven't seen the whole series, is it correct then that you did did not plan to have the ending the way it came down because that was really shocking. Yes, it's much like writing a novel uh, or or or, or um, uh, it's, it's lots of improvising, I think. Yeah, we we tend to have a storyline, uh, and we of course try to have some scripts ready for when we start shooting, but we are always uh, too late <laughs> with the scripts. Uh, and we also like um, the freedom to adjust as we see the work in progress. So, so we have a lot of freedom to, to, uh, to rewrite and discuss with the actors and with the photographer and then actually rewrite as we uh, record almost. So that's another similarity we have because lateness is my middle name. Uh, you know, <laughs> as my students know, I, I, I don't like coming to anything early. It seems like a waste of time. And uh, one of my greatest pleasures as a teacher is like dashing into the classroom like a second before it's supposed to be begin. Uh, so, but let me uh, ask you about something else that you just said, which I also find interesting. You, you basically finance these uh, productions yourself. That I think is an enormous advantage. One of the things as, as a media theorist that I've been exploring for years is the damage that uh, we call them gatekeepers in media theory. You know, they, they are the ones who decide, will this book get published or not? Will this movie get made? Will this television series get made? And uh, it's, you know, the public tends to think, well, okay, I guess they decide whether or not something should get made or not or published. But as we know, they decide much more than that. Even when they decide to go ahead with something, they uh, usually stick their two cents in, and it's far more than that two cents. They can have major changes. Uh, you know, uh, my late editor at one of my publishers, Tor Books, was a great guy, David Hartwell, 
And uh, this gets back again to my first novel. He had a, a suggestion, which I didn't agree with for the, my first novel. And then I had to go through the aggravation. I decided, okay, I'll put it in. It's not that bad. I'll do it his way. And then I had to read like several critics saying the one thing they didn't like about the novel was his suggestion. So what am I going to do? Say, hey, don't blame me. I, you know, blame my editor. But in your case, uh, was this a result of, I mean, I guess it could be several things. Was it A, you wanted to have final say, B, you tried to get uh, things made by, let's say even both of these things, outlier and catch and release by some, you know, bigger company and they didn't accept it. Uh, or, or maybe C, you, you know, you're both fabulously wealthy and you're able to finance your own work. None of the above. We, we, we just wanted the freedom, and and we we did a soap in 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 Norway, uh, four hundred episodes of soap, daily soap, and we tried to experiment uh, with the low cost production. We tried everything, uh, and we learned a lot about taking creative control and do cost efficient uh, productions. Uh, and then it, it gave us the opportunity to, to take control and, and finance it. Uh, so it's quite uh, interesting to, to let the writers, the creators be on set and, and in the middle of everything. And we can, it, yeah, we don't have to call an, a producer who has to call a writer who has to call his mother or something to, to get yes or no for some changes. We just do them and that saves us lots of money day by day and we have uh, a very interesting collaboration with a danish uh, company called reinvent um, they are um, distributors um, and they are co-financing and co-producing uh, our shows um, so they they do a lot of, of the financing of course but they are uh, and they are somehow gatekeepers, of course, but they are super experienced and they have given us uh, a lot of trust uh, and, and they work actually quite different from other TV channels or TV distributors. So they have given us the possibility to, to be quite, uh, to have a big freedom when we are out creating. Uh, so that's, that's, uh, that's a blessing actually to, to uh, be able to work with the Absolutely. So, uh, you know, the only difference between you and Charlie Chaplin, who, who also uh, wrote, directed, and produced all of his own movies, is he also starred in them. Uh, so I, are, are either or both of you thinking of doing that at some point? I think, think she's going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you, I oh, that's... Yeah. That's taking it too far, I think. <laughs> well, you never know. know. Yeah. I mean, again, the equivalent, you know, as far as being an author uh, is, you know, obviously there are audio books. And, you know, for some of my books, I've done my own, you know, readings. And uh, in some ways, it's more fun to have somebody else read your words. But also, unless you're really very much on the same page with them, sometimes no matter how hard you work with them they just can't quite get what you were hearing in your 
mind when you wrote it and so eventually you have to accept it which probably is the main impetus for uh for people starring in their own uh, movies and, uh, and and doing their own audiobooks um let's talk uh, a, a little bit about uh, outlier um which also appealed to me because you know there's a whole I don't know if you would call it a genre, maybe a subgenre, meaning not that it's below, but it's a smaller, you know, piece than just a genre of of academic uh, fiction. And meaning uh, the, the fiction is not academic in in a rarefied sense that no one is going to understand it, but it features something that happens in academe. It features a university as a setting. Uh, Isaac Asimov, uh, and I, I as well, because I greatly admire Asimov, have written some things where science fiction stories take place, the whole foundation uh, series that Isaac Asimov did, uh, a major, major part is the library in Trantor and, and how that plays a role in the story. So what motivated the two of you in Outlier to focus on a character who certainly was not a, an old woman. She was a more conventional, is a more conventional, beautiful young woman character uh, who is, uh, if I recall, she is working for on her PhD in London and then gets called back to Norway to investigate something which has to do with her personal life as well. Uh, but but w what gave you the, the motive to, to start that and place that in the academic context, at least to start? It, I think, I don't remember exactly, but I, when we did some research on, uh, on serial killers and the theory behind catching a serial killer, then we got fascinated by these uh, uh, these guys writing these books and having it as a sort of um, uh, uh, their ex, um, uh, expertise. Uh, expertise. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of person has has an expertise in serial killers? How are they working? How uh, what is making them tick and go? Uh, it's, it was just fascinating to think of uh, that kind of character. And could it be some experience in in uh, as a child that uh, that raised the interest for for uh, serial killers? Could it be something she experienced herself? And if she she was from a remote town uh, from the outskirts uh, of maybe Oslo or in, in Norway, maybe the other person, probably a guy, who did something to her also developed into a serial killer. That could be an interesting coincidence. Then she would have this as a, as a, as a traumatic past. And if she read about something, uh, because serial killers, they start with the small crimes and they are, they are mean to cats and dogs or something. And, and, and it, 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 it evolves over time. Maybe she could read about something, and that started the the, the memory going from from her past. Yeah, serial killers are definitely fascinating to make movies and television series uh, about, and that's pretty much why. Done before. <laughs> Not not to know in person, uh, and uh, you know one of the probably most infamous but most fascinating serial killers is Dexter, 
who did start out, you know, killing animals. I don't know if you've seen, by the way, the uh, Dexter New Blood. Uh, it's uh, okay. I highly recommend it. And um, but um, because what happened there is, I think it was about eight seasons, and the, the ending dissatisfied fans. And uh, what I can tell you without giving anything away is the ending of this new season that has dissatisfied a lot of fans as well. So, you know, we'll see what happens, but that, but that's because, I mean, it, it, obviously in that story, unlike just about every other serial killer, he's almost a serial killer on the side of the angels because the, hmm. the people he kills are themselves horrible people and often serial killers. And that's how he gets his instincts out. Uh, why, to get back to Outlier, though, did you make the husband of the main character? He was a pretty dislikable character. So what, what was that based on? You just thought it would work well in the story? The you know, husband of the main character? Yes. He, the guy who she's studying. Uh, they're married, right? Or, the, or is she? Yeah, yeah the, English, the English right. guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How did we come up with this English guy? We knew him as an actor and liked the, the, the liked him as a person. And uh, yeah. it's more like it could be fun something talking British in the series, <laughs> to be totally honest with you. But uh, but we, we we paired them and did some shooting shoot, uh, shoots with, with them and they matched. And he was this uh, more or less annoying. Uh, talking to her from a bow, it, it, it made her more weak in, in a very interesting way. Mm. Uh, it, it pushed her. Uh, uh, he was a very annoying British gentleman and <laughs> always, he always knows better than her. And of course, he, she's, so she was just an, an kind of antagonist on her uh, story arc. It was not a very big idea. It was just let's, no. let's get in Benjamin because he's, he's a brilliant actor yeah. and we like talking to him because he's yeah. Mm. So like, it was a coincidence. No, no, go ahead. No, I like that. That uh, I mean that's fascinating. Probably most of our listeners and viewers don't know that. That especially in a case where you're making your own television series or movie, you might put in a character just because you like an actor who's available to play that character. You, you know, the public tends to think it goes the other way. You come up with the idea for a character and you think, well, who can play this character? And then you decide, you might pick someone you know. But, but it's interesting, it's like putting the cart before the horse, or, you know, get, that you, yeah. you go to the Yeah, also we, we had this idea of, of um, British Library and London and big buses, red buses and all the telephone booths and everything. But we, <laughs> we, we did the shoot actually in, in the small town uh, in the Arctic. We found a kitchen that uh, it looks it could be something somewhere in London. <laughs> uh, so it's just around the corner from from the studio. So <laughs> people believe it's, yeah. it's London. 
I like that. I mean, look, it could certainly be pretty chilly in London. They don't have the greatest heating in the world, uh, even, in their, <laughs> yeah. even in their hotels. But, uh, and I will say this, uh, based on my own experience in the academic world, uh, most of the professors that I know, and I won't mention any names, are irritating characters. You know, they're <laughs> arrogant. They think they're more intelligent than anybody else in the room. They're so used to dealing with students that it doesn't matter who else they're talking to. It could be a member of their family. It could be, you know, just a person that has nothing to do with the academic world. They treat them as, as students. So in, in that sense, you caught uh, that, that very well, that academic uh, flavor. Um, since science fiction is actually more of a primary interest even than my interest in Nordic noir and my interest in detective fiction, which is a pretty close second, but uh, I'm always interested when I talk to filmmakers and people who do television series, do they have any projects or inclinations that they might like to talk about, which could be science fiction or fantasy? Yeah, I had some. Uh, and it has to do with the brain and how could uh, a crime plot uh, have something to do with uh, the mind and the, the, the almost uh, uh, the inside universe and what's going on in people's mind. Uh, so we've been there, but, but not but, not as a science fiction thing, but in a quite different universe. But we have done some um, uh, fantasy. We had uh, uh, the Dead Ones. Yeah. Um, the Dead Ones was the television show for kids about uh, about ghosts. That's maybe the closest we have been to science fiction, I think. Yeah, we have to disappoint you. <laughs> oh, no, that's okay. That's okay. By the way, here in the United States, uh, there's a pretty, uh, not an unbreachable distance, but a pretty big distance between science fiction and fantasy. Uh, and actually, so, so, some science fiction people, and I'm not among them, actually disparage fantasy. There's a science fiction writer by the name of Gregory Benford, who himself is a physicist. So I guess it's understandable. He refers to fantasy as playing with the net down. In other words, you're, you're playing tennis with the net down because he thinks <laughs> it's easier to write fantasy which I don't think it's fair to say, I mean, you know, Harry Potter, all that, all of those books couldn't have been easy to write and or Lord of the Rings. And there are great, great fantasy uh, stories. By the way, as far as, you know, probing what's going on in the human brain, one of the best of Philip K. Dick's uh, both stories and the, the movie, I think, uh, I guess Steven Spielberg was the one who made it at least about maybe 15, 20 years ago, would be Minority Report, where you have these empaths who can, you know, predict just by getting into the mind of a potential killer when, uh, if and when and even where they're going to kill somebody. So uh, th th that is a rich area, so, so you should uh, do it. L let's talk about uh, another aspect which interests me, you know, because, uh, you know, just in terms of my own, what I, what I always like to talk about is what I also do, you know, professionally <laughs> or otherwise. So music is another thing. You know, I have a few albums out and uh, I, I'm 
therefore always especially interested and I pay attention to to the music in what I'm watching on the screen because I, I'm sure you'll agree that makes a big difference you know it sets the scene it, it conveys an emotion it conveys part of the story that both goes beyond words and and puts the words in a context so perhaps you can talk a little bit about how you did that in both of those uh, series, Catch and Release and uh, Outlier. We have a composer called uh, Raymond Enoxon. Uh, he's uh, yes, the H A, -A D H D type. He's full of uh, power energy. He's is uh, working all the time. Uh, so he's working pretty close with us in the process. Uh, he's a fantastic guy. Uh, and we are going back and forth with the, with the scenes and uh, we have some, some ideas of what it could be and he will do something totally different, of course. Uh, and, and that's the process. But we did something, we, we added a layer in catch and release with, um, with some, some um, uh, with a guy called Sondre Brattland. That's a, that's a, a, a hymn or or or, or um, yeah, it's very a traditional religious hymn. Yeah, it's, and it's very dark. And and I think if we if we hadn't uh, the the creative freedom, we could never start with this this old woman having cancer and 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 and. Uh, end the first episode with 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 Sondre Brattland because it's too dark and it's too really really religious uh, for for a mainstream audience uh, I don't know if you yeah did, did, had you, did you have some reactions to the to the music at the end of episode one how did you I, I thought that, I thought the music was excellent it, it, it was very effective it was very moving and uh, it, it brought home what what was going on in the story uh, perfectly. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, 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 what, music can be done in all kinds of ways. I don't know if you've seen any of uh, Station Eleven, which is a, a, a post-apocalyptic uh, series here in the United States. It's on HBO Max. And it's about, uh, you know, COVID seems to be bad, which obviously it is. In this story, there's a flu that kills 99% of the population. So, I mean, that's really bad. <laughs> but uh, so, and this series, you know, jumps around what's happening now, where the world would be, where some of the major characters would be 20 years from now. And what they did there is they not only uh, had like music in the background, but they actually created songs, you know, new songs that the characters or some heard or sang in the actual uh, uh, story. So I, you know, I thought that that was a very innovative and excellent uh, way of doing it. Um, by the way, I should mention, as long as we're talking about post-apocalyptic things, as, as some people know, but I don't mind mentioning this to the millions of people who will be watching and listening to this interview, that one uh, post-apocalyptic movie that I thought was atrocious, uh, but a lot of people like it is Don't Look Up. This is uh, this movie. It's like the number one movie on Netflix. So I don't know mm -hmm. if you people saw it. I, you know, I won't spoil the ending, but, but I will say it was try it was dealing with a serious topic but i think it dealt with it in such an idiotic and totally <laughs> pessimistic way that it basically ruined the story so 
<laughs> haven't seen it yet but <laughs> but we have heard all the discussions about it and you either hate it or you love it That's so right. i think we have to to see to make up uh, yeah. an opinion about it yeah well i won't hold it against you if, if you are not <laughs> <loving>. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, I usually I like to end these things around a half an hour or a little, uh, you know, longer. Um, and, you know, I think we, we do uh, have a few more minutes. Would you feel comfortable talking about uh, without maybe naming them or if you want, you can name them some new projects, what you're what you're currently working on, what you hope to be doing in the next couple of years? Yeah, sure. Um... We have some upcoming uh, crimes and thriller series. Uh, uh, they are mainly Norwegian. One of the projects is Norwegian, Danish, English. Um, so we have a lot of crime and thrillers, but we are also developing uh, more classical drama, relations, uh, character drama in, in different genres. We're trying to be a creative hub uh, for for showrunners and writers, uh, and trying to to trigger co-productions all over Norway. And the big the big uh, challenge for the Norwegian business is all the productions are are going on in the in the in Oslo in the main city. Uh, so we're trying to scale up the the the, the business with with uh, doing more co-productions uh, and giving students and young talents the, the opportunity to, to get into the business and co-produce and uh, co-write. Uh, so that's that's why we are planning to have uh, more or less three, uh, maybe four productions going on in the next year. Yeah. And it's all too much. It's too much. It's not doable, but we're trying to do it to force us to, to, to delegate and, and involve young talents. So that's an, an experiment uh, going on with um, with reinvent in Denmark and and in with the film camp. It's the studio we are using in, up in the Arctic. We are sitting in Oslo down south south in Norway as, as we speak, but every time we produce, we go up to to the Arctic. That's uh, about uh, hundred. Uh, thousand kilometers 100,000 <laughs> 300 yeah. kilometers from here yeah to yeah. the north pole <laughs> so, so so we're trying to do things uh, directly uh, in the other way than the rest of the business so so but the first one is a, a thriller it's about uh, identity theft yeah. it's about mm. the security cyber security not being a sci-fi or say, but, <laughs> but uh, that's a new 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 environment it's not the, the the usual murder case so we're trying always try to do something new that we haven't done before well good by the way if it's any consolation uh, a, a high-tech thriller is just on the edge of science fiction. <laughs> we, we in science fiction recognize it as like a, a very close and friendly neighbor. You know, we uh. deal with the same thing. By the way, I, I'll also say, good for you for taking on way too much work. I think that's the way to do it. And you know, this might sound like unfriendly to some people, but I, you know, this advice, oh, you're working too hard, relax, you need to take a vacation. That's not the way to go. <laughs> that, that's not a recipe for success. 
I think I read somewhere that Anatole France, he was like this great writer in the 19th century. He like dropped dead over his typewriter or whatever he was using back then. He was like in his 80s or 70s. So, I mean, I whatever I heard, hear about that, good for him. I mean, you know, it's, it, you know what uh, what's better than that? Being in some, you know, quiet place where you're not doing anything of any importance. So, uh I'm a great believer in taking on more than you think you can do, because one of the other things, obviously, as you know about creativity, is the more you take on, the more stimulated your the creative part of your brain is, and therefore you can wind up doing more and more. Yeah, and and, and work with different teams that cross pollinate. Uh, I don't know if that's the word, pollinate. We yes. can can can. Uh, uh, influence uh, back and forth, like we take on this composer Ramon Enochson and bringing bringing him into the room. There's something to the story and so on. So have several productions going on at the same time. May do something to to all of them. Uh, mm. And trying to do something that seems impossible right now is forcing sort of the brain and the creativity to just come up with a solution. A new solution. So, so we have to sort of reinvent the way we produce and the way we write and the way we direct to to make this uh, come through. I think. Yeah. What What are the limits for for creativity? How How, how many storylines can we deal with at once uh, at the same time? We don't know, but uh, the brain is a fantastic uh, device. Yes. So, <laughs> so we are very much into exper experiment with with creativity and and the process. That's that's the, the big part of. Everything everything we love with making TV series. Good. There's a, uh, a book, I can't remember the name of it, it's by uh, a CNN, a doctor who's on CNN, his name is Sanjay Gupta, and uh, it, it basically is a book about what happens to the brain when it ages, and he has advice about what to do, do this and that, and actually I thought it was a pretty good book, except for one thing, he says as a doctor, when you get older, you should try not to multitask, don't <laughs> do too many things at the same time. So I, when I read that, I realized that if that's truly the case, it's hopeless for me because I'm always doing a hundred things at the same time. But, yeah. but I do think, as you are saying, that there is a cross-pollination and, a, uh, and a, a stimulation. So, uh, all right, well, listen, thanks very much. I, you can certainly count on me to uh, eagerly watch and review your uh, upcoming work whenever it comes out. And uh, again, for anyone who's listening, you know, I, I got to know Arnie, I guess, on Twitter because I posted a review of uh, Outlier and Arnie said, thank you. And we followed each other. Twitter is a great way for anyone who's making movies and television shows to, to get out there, to be in touch with people who are reviewing it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of negativity about social media because they do do a lot of dangerous things and bad things like spreading misinformation about COVID, et cetera, et cetera. But we won't get off on, on that or any politics here. But they, but they also do very good things like bringing people uh, yeah. together. So, uh, you know, I'm really grateful that so thank you very much and uh, maybe you. we'll i'll interview you again in a couple of years and talk about some of your new projects thank you for having us you're welcome bye-bye bye the light on light through podcast well i hope you enjoyed that interview with arnie and christine 
I'll be back here soon with some more reviews, some more interviews, all kinds of good things coming up. In the meantime, stay safe, stay sound, and enjoy. Athens, 2042 AD. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Curled up with a good book says, Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. Paul Levinson still codes about an ancient biotech war raging on in secret for 